Sefer Bereshit, Parshat Chaye Sara, on the importance of marriage. In Parshat Chaye Sara, Sarah's long life comes to an end, and Abraham sends his servant to go find a wife for his son Isaac. And this isn't a task he takes lightly. Abraham has the servant make an oath that the wife will be from Abraham's native land, and the servant famously uses a test to find Isaac the kindest wife, picking the one who offers the servant and his camel water to drink. Of course, the one who meets these requirements is Rebecca, Rivka. And we read that in the absence of Sarah, our matriarch, it's Rebecca who takes over. Genesis 24 concludes with, Isaac then brought her into the tent of his mother, Sarah, and he took Rebecca as his wife. Isaac loved her and thus found comfort after his mother's death. Strangely, though, this is not the last marriage of the Parsha. In the very next verse, we read, Abraham took another wife whose name was Keturah. With Abraham and Sarah having lived to well over 100 years old together, isn't it odd that Abraham would feel the need to remarry? I think the Torah here is making a point about how marriage plays such a central part in the healthy human experience. Looking back into ancient times, we can almost see it as a critique of how we live today. In the 21st century, we've placed unprecedented focus on the self and the individual journey. One might pay extraordinary attention to their career, their health and fitness, and their own happiness and fulfillment. This, of course, has its benefits, but also we find ourselves in the middle of a loneliness epidemic. We have a harder time than ever with friendships, and committing to a lifelong partner is more difficult, all the more so. In his book, Get Married, Brad Wilcox, a professor of sociology at the University of Virginia, reports, Marital quality is far and away the top predictor I have run across of life satisfaction in America. Specifically, the odds that men and women say they are very happy with their lives are a staggering 545% higher for those who are very happily married, compared with peers who are not married or who are less than very happy in their marriages. Further, according to Wilcox, 75% of adults ages 18 to 40 said that making a good living was crucial to fulfillment in life, while only 32% thought that marriage was crucial to fulfillment. In a Pew Research Center survey, 88% of parents said it was extremely or very important for their kids to be financially independent, while only 21% said it was extremely or very important for their kids to marry. David Brooks, a columnist at the New York Times, based on this data, argues, we could do a lot to raise the marriage rate by increasing wages. Financial precarity inhibits marriage. But as a culture, we could improve our national happiness levels by making sure people focus most on what is primary, marriage and intimate relationships, and not on what is important but secondary, their careers. The Torah and our religious lives can then be a grounding factor with its continuing to emphasize marriage and family as the heart of a meaningful life. It reminds us of God's words regarding Adam. It is not good for the human to be alone. I will make a fitting counterpart for him. When God finally creates a suitable partner, Adam rejoices. This one at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. The Torah's notions of the holiness of marriage are fascinating in that they're neither wholly utilitarian nor wholly romantic. The Torah makes space for both. Marriage is a thrill, as demonstrated by both Adam and Isaac. 
but also it's about contractual obligations and responsibilities. When we display a ketubah in our home, we're making a statement about both dimensions, taking words of obligation and using that to beautify a place of gathering and joy. And the practical and romantic aspects of marriage are both things that we ought to bring to the world. Our society is quite lacking at taking care of individuals who are alone, such as seniors with dementia and children and adults with no support in times of severe challenges. A spouse can often be a person's first line of pragmatic and emotional support during the most difficult times of life. We are also often cruelly reminded that we cannot always be the people we strive to be when we're all on our own. With all that goes into being a responsible citizen, a productive member of society, and a caring family member, one really needs a partner to do these things to the fullest. By being people together, we're making our community better able to thrive. But a spouse is not just a teammate. Let's go back to what God says about Adam. I will make a fitting counterpart for him. The Hebrew here for counterpart or helpmate is ezer kenegdo. This could mean a helper, but it could also mean an opposition. Perhaps the best translation is helper against. One partner is not there for the service of the other. They are there to challenge one another in a way that is mutually beneficial. One might even think of their spouse as their chavruta in life. Just as Hillel and Shammai made each other stronger, and just as competing with a skilled opponent at work or at your favorite hobby brings you to a higher level, a spouse is someone who helps you by challenging you, in a sense. We see this later in the saga of Isaac and Rebekah, as they are hardly always in agreement with one another. Naturally, all of this applies to members of the LGBTQ community as well. We must advocate for marriage for all people as no person does not deserve the benefits of living in covenant with, with somebody else. It is not by accident that the Torah frames the covenantal relationship in marriage in similar terms to the covenantal relationship to God. Adultery and idolatry are similar breaches of a crucial partnership. Just as you cannot have a loose relationship with another God, you cannot have another loose relationship with another intimate partner. To frame it more positively, it makes perfect sense that we read Song of Songs, a poem about love, as being the central metaphor for the love between us and God. According to some rabbis, the primary goal of marriage is to have children. But the other view is that marriage is inherently valuable without having children. Rabbi Nachman said in the name of Shmuel that even though a man has many children, he may not remain without a wife. As it says, it is not good that man be alone. But others say that if he does have children, then he may abstain from procreation, and he may even abstain from taking a wife altogether. The rabbis taught, Rabbi Tanchum said in the name of Rabbi Chanilai, any man who does not have a wife lives without happiness, without blessing, and without goodness. In the West, in Israel, without Torah, and without a protective wall. Rava Barula said, without peace. And yet, as important as it is, it can be agonizingly difficult for so many to find the right partner. Rabbi Barbar Khanna said in the name of Rav Yochanan, and it is as difficult for God to match up a man and a woman for marriage as it is to split the sea, <clears throat> to create a national relationship. As it is stated, God gathers individuals to a house. God releases prisoners at suitable moments. There are, to be sure, downsides to the old-fashioned model of having parents heavily involved in a child's search for a spouse. And today we don't live in an era where a parent's role is to do that. 
Today, being like Abraham and wanting a good marriage for your child means seeking to model healthy relationships, <clears throat> showing the child how partners can live with mutual love and respect. So too, there's a place for us to be like the servant Eliezer, who is thoughtful in his duty to help someone find the right match. To be sure, there can become a culture in which matchmaking can go wrong, in which there's too much emphasis on superficial characteristics, such as wealth and family prestige. This is again why it's helpful to follow the example of Eliezer, who sought to pick a partner for Abraham based on her character. Additionally, we must be wary of the way placing an emphasis on marriage can lead to judgment of those who aren't married, which can be deeply damaging to single people. We must understand those who struggle to find a partner, those who are scarred from divorce or bad relationships, and those who, for whatever reason, determine that marriage is not right for them. We can do that and recognize that the moral and spiritual integrity perpetuated through marriage and family are what have brought us to this moment. And we have a responsibility to figure out how to make that tradition continue in the modern world. Shabbat Shalom.